So if I help you get one property this year, that's gonna make you $35,000 in profits over the next 10 years. Have you ever wondered the unseen challenges vacation rental managers face? Welcome to Top 10 Mistakes. I'm Brooke Fouts and I'm on a mission to interview vacation rental managers across the country to uncover the biggest mistakes and golden lessons that have shaped their careers. Each episode delivers real, unfiltered stories of mistakes and triumphs, giving you the insights and strategies to avoid common pitfalls and to accelerate your success in the competitive world of vacation rentals. So buckle up and get ready to dive in today's story of challenge, triumph, and transformation. All right. Hey there, Brooke. How's it going today? What's up, man? I'm excited for this one. This is partner number one. Excited. The origin story. Yeah, this maybe we should title this one like Genesis or something. Like this is the first chapter. We were making Bible comments before we got on here. So this is where it all began. All right, Brooke, you got to tell the story. How did it all begin? How did you originally connect with CJ? And how did CJ actually become partner number one of Inventory? So me, uh, a lot of people don't know this. So it was me, David Angotti, Wes Melton, and CJ Stan. We were down in Blue Ridge, Georgia. And this was just about five years ago, almost to the day, ironically enough. And we were sitting around and just having breakfast. And I was thinking about my next venture. And it was actually David Angotti that says, Brooke, what are you doing? Like, you need to start. There needs to be an agency that helps professional vacation rental managers grow their inventory. And he's your position better than anybody out there to do this. This is what you do. You've got the story. You've got the background. CJ, literally like a kid in like first grade, throws his hand up and says, Brooke, I'm in. I was going to renew that billboard across the street. I'd rather give the money to you. So that was almost to the day, five years ago today. Ironically enough, we didn't even plan this. And here we are today, 700 partners later. Pretty crazy. True story. True story. I said, sign me up. We'll go to my office right now. How much do you want? Yeah. That well, was the like thing. A- that, that was actually the funny thing. So our initial fee, we used to charge a ten thousand dollar onboarding fee and fifteen hundred dollars a month, and we came up with a ten thousand dollar onboarding fee because that's how much the billboard was. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was how the price came from. <laughs> I mean, it was back of the napkin on a table at Mercier Orchard in Blue Ridge, Georgia, which. Subsequently, I think it was maybe on the first year anniversary, I went to Mercier and I asked them if they would sell me one of those tables. So I have a table from Mercier Orchard that's sitting in my one of my warehouses up in Blue Ridge. So that'll be eventually when there's like a, a museum of inventory history, that'll be like, <laughs> that'll, that'll be there, right? That'll be like under spotlights. Nice. Awesome. CJ, That's that, I love that story too. I've heard it a few times, but I still like that kind of origin of what a software companies look for, Brooke, product market fit. You had it right away where you had someone here that was willing to take you on and of course trusted you and liked you and that helped. But CJ, I'd love to hear your perspective about maybe that meeting. And then if you don't mind, could you paint a little color about why you are the right customer for that? Tell us about your actual vacation or cabin rental company up there in Blue Ridge as well. Certainly. So my first interaction with Brooke was hearing him speak at the Nashville VRMA. Um, he was talking about the story zero to 500 homes. And I absolutely was like, that dude knows what he's doing. So I, at that point in time, decided I wanted to seek him out anyway. So that was the first time I ever met him. We never really had a one-on-one direct meeting. I wound up meeting him in Orlando through Steve Trover, maybe a year or two later, working on the purpose-built homes. Again, inspired by what they were doing. And later on, that fits into my story. But what ultimately 
wound up happening is when Brooks started working for LiveRes, again, watching him work there, I was like, this guy's a boss. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to put a marketing engine together, right? So I was observing it from the outside. So when I had this opportunity to sit at breakfast with them and I, I heard this story coming together, I already knew the horses were in the barn. So for me, it was just a matter of, okay, if he's going to do this, let's go. Sometimes you just are inspired by something. Other times you have to be sold. In this case, it was all there. So, right, it was a no-brainer. And for me, I had made a decision at that point in time where a big part of my business process was I wanted to work more on my business than in it anyway. And outsourcing, buying myself bandwidth was something I was looking for anyway. And I thought to myself, this is like me hiring Brooke to do my biz dev right out of the gate, or at least help me build the funnel, build a marketing machine for that. So I was like, it's worth the shot. Um, just like that. That's where my thought process was. And then from there, as Brooke grew the company, all I had to do was watch the moves they were making, adopt the tools like we all do with software. You want to be a power user. Everything that he's launched, I wanted to try it, put my eyeballs on it, make sure my team saw it with the whole goal of, again, it's buying bandwidth. If I could buy bandwidth for myself and I can show my team how to buy more bandwidth, we can be more focused on those things that move us forward. So. Mm -hmm. Right on. And then maybe for those that don't know about Southern Comfort and kind of your experience up there being a property manager and doing this stuff day to day, could you give the brief history of your vacation rental company, where it sits today, inventory, what your focus is there as well? Yeah, absolutely. So Blue Ridge is, it's like a premium tier two market, right? It's a kind of drive to market from Atlanta. I like to say we're 52 weekends a year. And then we've got about, you know, eight to 10 weeks of fill in right? Where we can max out occupancy with longer five, five day or more rentals. Lots of cool inventory. It's amazing. I shop other like cabin rental areas and I just have a hard time finding the same inventory. We've got really cool properties, a great mix from these like rustic, true, like out in the woods style cabins to massive luxury, modern rustic lodges, mountain homes, just it's every, it's every mountain or cabin rental market is represented in Blue Ridge, every type of home. Um, yeah, I have to agree. Yeah, go ahead, CJ. It, well, it was just the, this, I just remember the second part of your question was how we got into it and, and the numbers that we're at. When we first started, it was an acquisition. I acquired Southern Comfort Cabin Rentals in 2009. It's about 40 homes in the portfolio. We've grown it to just under 200. And recently, this would probably be my official public announcement that we acquired Georgia Mountain Cabin Rentals, and I'm partnering with Paul Gribble, right? So he's coming on board with us. We both move super fast, and we're we're January, what are we today? 12th? We're, yeah, we're literally almost halfway through getting it fully integrated into our portfolio. We're going to launch Feb 1 with all of his properties under the Southern Comfort brand. So we're both wow. extraordinarily excited about this. CJ is one of my besties and I never knew this. He's got some tight lips, man. I, this is the first I've heard of this, CJ. That's crazy. Congrats, man. You're welcome, man. Thank you. It's been, we, Paul and I have moved pretty fast. We wanted to make sure it was right before we let the cat out of the bag, if you will. 
and we're having a good time. This is really, it's That's big. a lot of horsepower. We feel good about it. Awesome. Awesome. That's where things are going and where you started from, CJ. So we really appreciate that. But in the interest of today's recording, we're going to go through the top 10 mistakes, which folks can certainly pick up and read on page 55 of the printed book, A Vacational Secret. So I'll run through these. And uh, yeah, we'd just like to paint some additional context around. Love to see this like large growing. Now you're acquiring other companies. That's so phenomenal. But as you alluded to in your mistakes, you might have made some mistakes along the way that you've learned from to be able to get to that stage. So let's go. Let's dive right in if you're okay with it, CJ. Number one, not fully implementing EOS or similar business operating system that can facilitate change management or improvements sooner. So for the listener, we joke about this on the previous recordings that we've done already, CJ, but it's like they owe us a commission at this point. We've mentioned EOS so many times, but for those that don't know, what is EOS? Could you give a little bit of background about what that means, what that is, and how you've implemented it into your business and how it's helped? So I'll keep it super simple. It's working on your business rather than in your business. And I would say that when the way that I frame that mistake is that I tried to self-implement. So really what I'm encouraging people to do is instead of self-implementing, consider an implementer, speed up that process, get a true professional. It is worth every single dime. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, I think it definitely teaches you how to do it the right way when you bring in an implementer, 100%. And CJ and I share the same implementer, this guy named Brad Whitehead, who's fantastic. If anyone's referral, happy to send them their way. No, but it's absolutely immense and crazy. Now, it'll help you run your L10 meetings, your rocks, set all those things so much easier. So yeah, it is expensive. It's not cheap, but it pays for itself easily. And that would be, again, to reframe it, the mistake was not making that investment sooner because we did implement parts and pieces, right? We used the traction book and, and we adopted just the 90 minute meeting part or the annual meeting part, but really having the full process implemented, it just, it puts everybody on the same page. And it's not me, right? The owner of the company or the managing partner, whatever, saying what it is that I want done. It's a professional coming in, training your team. They also feel like you're investing in them. So it's a real win. And then when you start getting traction with it, when that system act, when you can feel it working in your organization, it's priceless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a reason that this gets mentioned so often too, Brooke. It's a lot of people, I think, get to a certain stage and they fumble their way through it. And then this gives them clarity and the system, it's like driving off-road versus driving on the nice smooth pavement, right? It just feels totally different, right? Yeah, I was, exactly. I was listening to, I don't listen to Tim Ferriss that often, but I was listening to him and Bill Gurley with Benchmark Capital. And they just said, look, you need a framework. You just need frameworks. And to me, that was like the aha moment for me. I was like, that's EOS. It's just a framework to use. And it, it yeah. works. And remember, even if you've been to, even if you have an MBA, like we had Matt Durrett on here, he's got a fancy MBA, like they don't teach you this stuff in an MBA school. So use something. And this is by far the most effective. There's a reason why this has been mentioned like a dozen times. And what's the expression? Once is random, twice is a coincidence, three is a trend or something. Yeah. This is mentioned number 10 to your point, Brooks. Definitely a trend that I think a lot of people are hopping on. Let's go ahead then, CJ, to number two, not moving faster on new ideas, allowing distractions to delay completion of good ideas. So frame this one up for me a little bit. Why were you moving slowly on new ideas? What made you speed that up a little bit? And how did you complete more good ideas as you've grown? Communication. Really documenting what it is that you want done, as opposed to the, the mistake Again, I'll, I'll use the term reframing some of these things as, as we continue through the list, because 
I've spent time reflecting, like looking back in the book. I've read other people's, and it's amazing how some people came from a. And this is Brooke. I've never mentioned this to you, but when you when I'm going through the book and I'm reading what some of the other people have said, some frame from a positive standpoint. They don't actually mention the mistake. They mention the lesson they learned from the mistake, and I love that. And then some people were more literal and just listed out the mistake. So in this case, what I took away from that is in going back and, and thinking about it, just not spending enough time documenting exactly what I wanted done and instead just giving my team or a direct report just the objective, right? And you want people you can just give the objective to and they go figure it out. But sometimes there's nuance or experience that you have or a particular way that you want an idea to come to life. And I just, for years, I just depended upon speaking and saying what my ideas were and explaining it and letting them take their notes. But what I found is to be the most effective communicator, you'll also recap or you'll document what it is that you said you wanted. And you'll be very clear about the time frame in which you want it done in, right? I was loose for a number of years. Here's the idea and go. And when you're done, bring it back. That You can't keep up with an item that has a loose end and no deadline. So, I'm, I'm sure we'll probably talk about psychometric personality assessments because CJ and I are big, both of us are big fans on that. And one of the things our consultant talks about with that is, is CJ and I are both verbal people, right? We like, we, we think out loud, we're thinking by talking. And it's one of the things he always coaches me on is, Brooke, when you're finished talking and just rambling, <laughs> make sure it's very clear what your expectations are of your team member. You know what I mean? Say, because they heard you just say 15,000 different things and you only, you're just, you're processing it verbally. And he's be very clear at the end, exactly what you want them to do. Because if they listen to every single thing you said, literally, they're going to be going down rabbit holes that you didn't want them to go down to. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any system that you use, CJ, for documenting written communication? Do you guys have like a project management system or anything you use? I'm just curious. Two years ago, we moved everything over to Microsoft 365 and we're using Planner Board now. But honestly, for this particular uh, type of communication, I'll use an Apple Note if I'm on my mobile phone or whatever, but I put it into a Word document and now send it to the member. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that. It's it's when we think by speaking to Brooke's point, it's like, it can be misinterpreted, but when we write it down, it almost forces us to be clear too. Cause when we write it down, yeah. we read it back before <laughs> we send it and we go, ah, that doesn't really make any sense. We've all done that. If you've ever, if you've ever been on the receiving end of, of one of my, it's outlines. I love bullet points. I love numbers. I love to outline things like second, this third, this fourth. And ultimately I'm not, I'm very good at visualizing processes, but I'm also not the best at actually lacing them all together. So I can build the individuals. That's coming later. Our, my GM is fantastic at the big picture, pulling all those processes together. So that's another kind of really key part to our success is the making sure that you have somebody else, and this is an EOS thing, be the visionary or the integrator, right? It's hard to be both. 
Yeah, yeah, it's really hard. It's I would I feel like you can count on one hand the number of people that can be both those things. You talked about teams, so maybe we'll go in the team direction here with number three. Uh, keeping toxic employees for too long or allowing employees to harbor institutional knowledge and an effort to project their jobs. So we've talked a lot about people and hiring and bringing the right people on, but maybe talk us through this. What does a toxic employee look like? How do you then jettison them if they do have specific knowledge safely? Yeah, this is, I think, a sensitive topic for a lot of people because we're dealing with a human resource right? I have a huge heart. I can see the good in literally anybody. And unfortunately, sometimes I've gotten taken advantage of because of that. And it's a very hard thing to systematize. But what I can tell you is that you've got to pick up on, on toxic traits. And I'm in this case, I'll tell you, if someone's spending more time trying to focus on being loyal like a constantly bringing up I'm loyal or I've been so good to this company, but they're not recognizing how good the company has been back to them. You find out that, that no matter what you do, you're not going to do anything right because it's a one-way street for them. It's all about what's in it for them. And what makes a what I believe to be a company culture uh, a successful one is where everybody recognizes that right? They recognize what their fellow employees are doing, not just what they're doing, right? They're not constantly keeping tabs on just what they did. So now, again, see, it's EOS. Again, here it's coming up. With our core values, we've now changed our, and this has been some years back, but we've changed how we do our reviews so that we are actually grading the the staff member based upon how engaged they are to the company core values. And that is a big one, right? The teamwork aspect is a big part of our company culture. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, right on. It's it's one of those things too, where it's, I think we notice these things in little moments, but we just gloss them over, like you said, because you see the wins, you see the things that maybe that person is contributing. And then you, when you actually interview your team, I don't know if this was the case for you, CJ, but I went to interview my team at one point and I realized how much my team dislikes someone on the team that I thought, oh, it was minor little riffs. No, there was like very bad feelings harbored there that I had to dig out. People weren't just, people don't just volunteer that information often because they don't want to yeah. be seen as the, the bad guy, so to speak. So that can be challenging for sure. Number four is related, which is keeping, allowing toxic owners to steal energy from employees. I hate to say, CJ, this one came up over and over again, this idea of an owner that's a bad fit that takes all the time away and stuff like that. How do you draw the criteria? What is reasonable for an owner to ask and behave and what is unreasonable? How do you draw those lines now? And what do you do when you find a bad one? How do you get them out of the, get them out of the program? So this is, this is also one of the new, I think a nuanced thing in what we have to do as property managers, right? We're not dealing with a single asset owner. We are dealing with, in this case, in our company, hundreds, and that can be multiplied when you have partnerships, husbands and wives, like partners, et cetera, making sure that you have a designated person that's responsible for that property is super important to our expectation that we set. But you also have to look at where the person is coming from when they're upset. Is it systemic? Is it a one-off? How did they speak to the, the team member? Sometimes someone flying off the handle is acceptable because of the situation, but abuse that's the, the thing you have to be careful about and really being cognizant of how much value that property brings to your portfolio in relation to how damaging is that owner to the staff. 
And you have to rely on your staff because some of my less emotional team members, they just, they'll brush stuff off if an owner's hot about something, right? They understand that's their job is to get to the crux of the issue and fix it. Others might take it personally. So it really boils down to, and again, in EOS, we have an L10. We talk about homeowners that may be having a challenging situation and we all agree. Like we come to a consensus that a, a toxic homeowner just is not, it's not worth the risk to the morale. Yeah. And the hierarchy is either myself or the GM has a conversation with that homeowner to see if we can, if we can level set how they're going to work with us moving forward. And it's like a contract. If they can't, then number one rule, be professional, be professional, figure out a path to guide them out of your program. I, I don't remember who it was, but someone mentioned that they would actually do that. They would have the conversation with them and they would pretty much give them a warning and they would say, look, this is unacceptable. We can't have this anymore. If it happens again, we're cutting you loose. And they said most of the time- I think it was Lino. Actually, Wasn't it Lino talking yeah, about that? I feel like, yeah, yeah Lino. Yeah. And they said most of the time it actually worked, which I found really surprising. Like I feel if yeah. that's your personality, you're just going to continue to do that. But in the, look, in a certain, I, I like that idea of rather than just firing, be candid with them, be transparent. A lot of times these people that are jerks like that, they don't think they're being a jerk. <laughs> they think that this is just- Exactly. And e- each person on your team member is also receiving that message differently. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent, based on their their if they're taking it emotionally or they're just taking it professionally and digesting it, moving on. And the mistake was for too many years, though. Again, Mister Nice Guy here didn't get clued in to the fact that I had some owners that were, you know, vampires throwing the baby out with the baby, yeah. and they were not being fair. They I think really where, it really, where I really saw it was one time I had a, a girl on my team, and she was stressing the entire week. Because she was meeting, the owner was actually coming into the office and she was stressing about it. You like, like physically, you could tell she was just not right. And I asked her what was wrong. And she's like, yeah, I've got to meet with uh, so-and-so end of the week. And it affected her the entire week. And I'm like, you know what that's, it's all you think about. You don't think about anything else. That's all your, you can't get any of your other work done. Those toxic owners are not worth it. I think I've mentioned this before, but Jody Taylor Rafosco said it, the quote I love from her, from the book. Do not wait too long to fire an owner. If you're feeling frustrated with them, so are your employees. If anyone is badgering your staff and has unrealistic expectations, cut them loose. You are better off and they may be too. Yeah, yeah. That's the most important part though, that they may be too. Sometimes it's that conversation. Nobody wants an unhappy owner in their program. And if you can't reconcile, be professional, right? That's... I think the purpose of what we're doing here and anybody that's listening is from a, from if you step back and take a global look, like we're all working to try to make what we do more professional. Why else would we share, right? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, absolutely. This next one then, CJ, is a little bit more of that emotional side. So maybe this one can be summed up relatively simply, but it's not always trusting my gut. So what does that gut mean to you and how have you gone away from your gut before and it hurt you and how have you leaned into your intuition and your gut and it benefited you? Yeah. Some people are good at it and some are not. I have a very, I rely on my gut a lot, but sometimes I've allowed my gut to lead me 
the wrong way, both times, down good paths and bad. Like I've gotten lucky listening to my gut and I've gotten unlucky listening to my gut. So it's the, I'll sum it up this way, trust but verify. I just keep it super. That is as simple as you can get. And that's what I do now. Like I trust, but verify. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Now that makes sense. Maybe this will dovetail nicely then into number six, believing what a salesperson told me and going with the flow on select technology decisions without thorough due diligence or reference checking. I feel like that dovetails perfectly, right? Because there's vendors at a hall and I'm on the vendor side. I've done this before and you want that client. And some people in our space will say whatever they need to get a client to sign. I remember a certain PMS company that promised an app like four years in a row and never delivered the app, but seemingly got away with it. So I don't know. We don't need to mention the company or anything like that, CJ, but what's been your experience here dealing with the vendor side of it? You're a property manager. A lot of people want you as a customer. How do you work with technology so that it benefits your company, not just ends up with a lot of different tools that you're paying for that don't actually help you? Yeah, that's a great way to to frame the question. And what's the irony is how I went and got into business with Brooke, right? The verification was already done, right? I didn't need any more due diligence to know what he was going to do was going to work. But the way that our industry has been growing so quickly, there's a lot of new players. And there are players that you don't know yet and they don't have successful track records or you may not be familiar with it. So it's again, the trust, but verify. And in in a recent case, I went with the flow on a technology decision because I saw so many other people doing it that I thought were, were smart and had done their due diligence. Once I took a, got behind the curtain and started talking to some of those people, they were all complaining about the same things that I was having problems with. So it's sometimes it's the blind leading the blind. And I think that's what happened when I was inspired to right, make that, that uh, um, one of the mistakes, right, out of the top 10. So sure. again, it is going to go back to trust and verify. Even if you think everybody's running to something, hmm. ask to speak to some of their customers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's that herd mentality, right? Don't just follow the herd. To be clear, you're not, you, he wasn't talking about before. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah. Because nobody um, was there before. before yeah. Yeah. There before was no herd to follow. You were the herd yeah. leader in that you one. Were the herd leader, so. yeah. <laughs> no, but the verification was there in that case. Right? right. And that's really just all it boils down to. And this is another important thing, right? There's always going to be a hater out there. Right. right. Make sure you talk to enough people. Right. Don't base your decision off of what one person says as well. Either way, positive or negative. Like right. it's not hard. That's like these conferences. You can pull people. You can go to loiter around a vendor and their customers are coming up and you can tell by their interactions. Are they complaining while they're there or are they laughing and having a good time and, and trading ideas. Like that's the kind of, right. That's the kind of environment we want to be in. So it's, I, I think it's self-selecting in some ways. CJ's due diligence process on a vendor, just hang out their booth. and just- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like both a mix of a, someone analytical idea where he's listening to feedback and also just like a vibes thing. Yeah. The vibes were good. Let's roll with it. Like people seem to like them. That's the best of both worlds. If you can go, if you can pick up on those vibrations and m- lay it over data, 
You're good. That's it. I'm with you. I'm actually with you, CJ. That's my philosophy to life. We need data. And then sometimes we just got to go go with what makes the most sense. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, I'm trying to be cognizant of time here. So let's head over to number seven, allowing people to steal my energy and or time on things that were not mission critical. So how did we go through this journey of spending your time and energy on things that are mission critical? And how do you reject the, I call them time vampires. How do you reject the time vampires that can sometimes get their teeth into you? Yeah. Okay. So time blocking prioritization. That is a, it's a, it's not something that you can perfect overnight, but you can start tomorrow. Start with 15 minutes every day, block it for yourself and prioritize yourself, right? Read 15 minutes a day, work out 15 minutes a day, spend 15 minutes on an area where you want to improve. And then just let that time compound, let it grow. Let that block grow. I got it. I, I was inspired by a book by a gentleman named Tommy Breedlove. It's called Legendary. And that's that was his bit of advice in the book. And I, I was like, his book is that he refers to it as a playbook. And that's what I did. I came back from a, I try to take some time off every year where I can just focus on my, what did it, what was I good at this year? Where did I fail? What do I want to do next year? Lay out a little game plan and during the pandemic, uh, I took a two-week sabbatical and I just tore that book apart. And I was like, I'm going to adopt as much as I can from this book. And that was the first thing. And my time blocks have grown now where I have a very good system for prioritiz prioritization. Mm -hmm. Right on. Awesome. All right, then let's slip into number eight, which again, I think is a, a cousin to this, slipping into time periods of lack of focus, trying to do too many things at once. So the comment that Brooke will make might here might be shiny objects. What's your shiny objects and how do you try to avoid the shiny objects and focus on the core things that really matter? Yeah. Wow. So I can convince myself of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> anything is possible. So I don't know if it was really a shiny object or not, but I started building purpose-built homes right before the the shutdown, right? And it was really 2019 is when I got that engine really working. And the whole idea behind it was that you could I could build inventory that inspired, right? It inspired a guest experience. It inspired other homeowners in our area to say, hey, look at the incredible inventory that this that this company has. It's that I want to be akin to that. I want to be in, in that portfolio because they have homes like the ones I like or like my own, but it really, I'll, I'll never take it back. I would never not do it, but you've got to be and this. This would be the lesson behind it. You've got to be prepared for that shiny object, really take stock on it. How much is it going to take you away from your core business? And is it worth it? Do you have enough team and enough bandwidth and enough horsepower to see it all the way through? Otherwise you fail twice. And that's the worst. You chase a shiny object, you lose sight of the important thing. You don't do the shiny object good. And the thing that you were doing good starts to tarnish or come apart. Yeah. So just mm -hmm. that's moving forward. It's that it's take inventory. If I'm going to go do something else, I better have everything I need I think lined up to do Dustin, it. It was a Dustin Abney that said, if it's not an F, yes, it's a no. Mm -hmm. And I like that. But the, the hack- That I've, was in the book Legendary as well. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not a hell yes, no. Yep. I've, so look, any this related to the last two topics and I want to consolidate this into one, but it's, if you think about it, like you can be busy all day long, 
Like everybody can be busy mm-hmm. all day long and you end the day that you end the day and you're like, what the hell did I do? What did I accomplish? Did I move closer to my goals? And I, I, I this is a hack when I started Vantage and I realized because I'm in the middle of everything and I, that's exactly what happened. I would end the day and I didn't accomplish anything, I would, but I was busy. And I, but I didn't get closer to any of our goals. I'm a big goal setter. I set annual goals. I set annual or uh, quarterly goals in EOS. They're called rocks. And I, what I always do is I always start my day like CJ did. And I try to block out at least 15 minutes. And I write down, I call it my, my six things. And what I do is I go through all my goals, all my rocks. And I say, what's one thing I can do today that gets me closer to that goal? Just one thing. It could be as simple as literally filling out a form on a website. It can be sending an email. It can be, it might be a big project. It might be something that takes an hour to do. It could take something that takes 30 seconds to do. But as long as I'm getting momentum and I'm one step closer, it's that Kaizen, that small incremental improvements. As long as I'm one step closer to those goals and those rocks, I at least feel like I accomplished something today. And if I can do that, at least six things, some small, some big, at least I'm making that momentum. That's the little hack I unlocked literally 15 years ago and still use it every day today. So I'm going to dovetail into that just real fast. From a practical standpoint, the way I've learned to use my phone is I will, as things come up, we all get shot at every day. Ideas come into our head. Somebody hits you with a text, a phone call, whatever. So my hack is whenever anything comes in that's a small task, I set a reminder in my phone. And part of my morning time block is I go through the reminders, I prioritize the reminder for the day by then taking it and setting it as a calendar block, right? And when when I set it as a calendar block, I check it off the reminders. So my reminder list can be growing infinitely all the time, but I'm reviewing it constantly. And I'm taking, like Brooke said, three, four, five, six things off of it every day and filling my calendar in those empty times. So every morning, by the time I'm ready to hit the, the ground running, I've removed those reminders off. I've blocked up the time, right? Always block time for shit to come up. Excuse my language. You got to always have a period of time in the day for like pressure relief valve, right? So nap, whatever. That's, I use very similar. But Brooke, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say now you are one of the probably most productive people I've ever witnessed work in my life. No doubt. Well, thank you. I think you, you have to, being an entrepreneur, you have to, like in those early days, you know, signing up partners and doing everything, going on site. You know, that's why, you know, CJ knows this. I wake up between four and five every day. It's just a habit now because I had no choice in the early days. Now it's just baked into my personality, baked into who I am. Yeah. So sometimes I respond to your Slack messages, Brooke, at like 830 or something like that. And I'm like, this was sent four hours ago. What in the world? How did that, like, how is that possible? You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, you are up and grinding right away. I'm not productive right that early in the morning, just total but sidebar. Game. I don't work late at night either though. So I know a lot of people okay. are like, oh my God, how do you do that? But then they're working till midnight. So it's the same thing. I just right. choose to do it when I'm fresh and I have mental energy, which is in the early part of the day. Yeah, I do think no matter what you do that early morning or the late night, what's nice about it is almost no interruption will occur. That's the nice part about those blocks, which is I'm not going to get a random call or those texts you were saying a moment ago, CJ, those don't pop up at 11 p.m. And if they do, forget them. I'm not getting to them until tomorrow anyways, unless it's like something on fire, basically. Awesome. We've got two more here to bring us home then. Number nine, not enforcing best practice or allowing people to get away with things that later became big or worse things. So 
I struggle with this one too, CJ. How do you be the bad cop when you need to be or letting things slide? What's in your evolution here? And how do you now enforce or like hold people accountable is another phrase that I've heard from someone that I work with. How do we make sure people are accountable on our team or vendors, et cetera? How have you gone through that process? Yeah, again, it's really coming back to being better at communication and setting that expectation or a deadline for when something needs to be done. So that's where I I could spend probably the entire amount of time that we've been here just on that. So I'm going to keep it, I'm going to keep that one super simple because I think that sure. it really just is that. It's being crystal clear, setting mm-hmm. the expectation and setting a, a date and time mm-hmm. for getting something done. Because then yeah. if you ask the person on the other side, is that, can you do that? Does that seem fair, realistic? That gives them the chance to say, no, I need more time, right? And you can give them more time, but at least there's something there and they're holding themselves accountable. They said they could do it. Now it's a verbal, it's essentially a verbal contract. So getting good at that is, and I still have to practice it, right? I still have to practice that myself. That's one of those things that's easy to, to get away from. But again, I have a pretty darn good integrator in my GM. And I remember when he first came on board, there were some people that didn't like him because he was just like, he's ex-military. So it's, things were very chop. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard the acronym SMART CJ, but it's some people use it when they do EOS rocks as well. So it's a specific, measurable, actionable, realistic time bound. So it gives you like, whenever you read off the rock, the example I always give is someone else on the team needs to be able to read your rock, then tell you at the end of the quarter if you hit it or not. It can't be like improve the conversion rate. That's not a good rock. And whenever someone new comes on my team, at least I always, that's always the thing they struggle with right away. It's like, all right, set your rocks. And they go, uh, get more email sent out. And I'm like, nope, we got to go back to smart. And then we have yep. to get it done from there. So at least that's been my experience. But Awesome. Number 10 here, rounding us out here. I know we're cr- crunched up against the time-wise, so we'll get this one out. Number 10, discounting my own value, falling into the trap of the guilt of irrelevance, feeling like you have to be doing something to prove your worth. I don't know if I heard this one before, CJ, so this is unique. Maybe you could break down what this means to you and how you've evolved on this feeling. Yeah, again, it's being putting yourself in a position to where you feel like you you have to give more away than is necessary, right? To prove that you have value, right? Discounting commissions, right? That's a hard one for property managers, I believe. There are a lot of low cost options out there, but be clear on what your services are, right? And that's just, I'm speaking from a company standpoint. Right. Because that's easy. That's black and white. I think everybody can put that in a box. What's more difficult is when you do that with yourself, your self-worth. Right. And I would say that the easiest way to do it, right. Money is a tool. It's a measuring stick. Right. If everybody that's listening to this sat down and determined what they paid themselves per year and then divided that into the amount of time that they work so that they could actually see what their measurable dollar amount per hour is that they're working. And then they listed out everything they did within their organization. They need to ask themselves, is my time worth that task? Right? And if it's not, you need to delegate and elevate. You need to take that task and train somebody in your organization to take it off of you. Because what happens is you're now right then, just by doing that, you've increased your value. That means that the things you are working on are the most important things. 
right? Those are the things that are going to move your project, your business, your team, whatever it is that you're, whatever role you have, whatever capacity you've got. And it's important anywhere in an organization to do that, right? Especially if you've got an executive team, right? And managers and everybody has value and they, you have to compare that dollar against it because that's, it's a, that's all it is. It's just a measuring mm-hmm. stick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I don't think I don't think I can say that any better. So we'll just uh, leave it there. CJ, I do have one last question for you. First off, before I get to that question, I do want to just obviously thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your friendship. It's been uh, unbelievable over these. It's been five years now as far as the Ventory Southern Comfort relationship. But obviously, I've known you a lot longer than that. But I'm super grateful for you and everything. So I want to round it out with one last question. If you could go back to your 25 year old self and give yourself a little piece of advice what would it be? It's a great question. And thank you, Brooke, for your friendship. I put place tremendous value on that and you've earned all of our business. So that's, that goes without saying. Conrad, thank you as well for in, inviting me. I've really enjoyed your, you are a, a great MC. So Appreciate it. I, I've, I've enjoyed it. So good question. I don't have to go back to being 25 to ask myself that when I was 24 years old, my dad asked me what I wanted to do with the hotel job that I was in. I was a budding customer service manager, right? At a hotel and mainly forward facing. And I told him I wanted to be the GM of a hotel one day. And he asked me why. And I said, it's like being the mayor of a small town, right? Because that's how I viewed my general manager at the time. Wheeling and dealing, running and gunning, like always seemed so important. And and it was a nice hotel. It was a luxury business class hotel, right? My dad asked me a very important question. He said, does the general manager have the lifestyle that you want? And at 24 years old, I was like, what is this lifestyle you speak of? And he laid it out. Where do you want to go? Where, Where do you want to live? Where do you want to travel? What time do you want to go to work? What time do you want to go home? What do you want to drive? Like, how do you want your life to look? Right? I never asked myself that question before. I was chasing, that's like chasing a shiny object. I think a lot of us, whether it's just one thing or some, some, you know, place in life. So that would be it. I, I would ask myself that question. So great answer. Awesome. CJ, really appreciate having you here and welcoming us into your home to let us record, obviously, from afar with with this. We appreciate it. For the listener, hopefully they got some value. If you do have some value, if you appreciate what CJ had to say, obviously go ahead and leave us a review. That helps a lot with more people listening to this. And I think more people do need to listen to folks like CJ so they can learn from them. So we appreciate it. And we'll catch you on the next episode. And that wraps up another episode of the Vintory Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's deep dive into the world of vacation rentals with our guests. Their top mistakes and the lessons learned along the way are invaluable for anyone looking to grow in this exciting industry. Thank you for tuning in and being part of our community. If you found value in today's episode, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Your support means a lot to us and helps us bring more of these insightful stories and tips directly to you. And if you have a moment, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Leave us a review on our podcast app of your choice. Your feedback not only helps us improve, but also helps others in the vacation rental business find us. Lastly, if you know a friend or a colleague who'd benefit from these lessons shared today, don't hesitate to share this episode with them. Sharing knowledge is one of the best ways we can grow together in this industry. 
Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll uncover more secrets to success in the world of vacation rentals.